Welcome to Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, we go to an artist talkback. The artist talkback took place at Eaton Hotel, and the artist is Elizabeth Columba. She is accompanied with Monique Long and Adrian Loving. So, let's listen in and learn more about Elizabeth's work. Read some bios here. Um, Elizabeth Columba's work draws upon history, mythology, allegory, and the feminine sacred to create an aesthetic vocabulary that is distinguished by its hybrid of French, Caribbean, and black signifiers. Characteristically, in contemplative solitude, her subjects are placed within a sumptuous environment, metaphors for their own inferiority, interiority, excuse me, the crease in the page. <laughs> it's informal. Columba creates a space for her protagonists to inhabit their own history, subjectivity, usually erased or diminished in canonical works. Through portraiture, she explores the ways in which history is constructed and the relationship between the canonical and the contemporary. Elizabeth Columbo was born in France and lives and works in Harlem in New York City. She received a degree in applied art from the Estienne School of Art and also studied at the École des Beaux-Arts. Her paintings are included in the permanent collections of J.P. Morgan Chase, the Studio Museum in Harlem, Princeton University Art Museum. In Columbus' feature in October issue of Vogue magazine, curator and scholar... Denise Morell says what I find so compelling about Elizabeth's works in a very vivid way. She's trying to imagine the, lot, the lived reality of the models who pose for Manet and Marie Bonoist. Monique Long began as an independent curator uh, organizing Elizabeth's solo work and book, The Moon is My Only Luxury. Prior, she received a Master of Fine Arts in American Studies from Columbia University and has held curatorial positions in several museums, including the Guggenheim, Studio Museum of Harlem, and Zietz Mocha in Cape Town, South Africa. Monique was born in Philadelphia and lives and works in New York City as a writer, visiting critic, and lecturer. As a curator, she works with emerging artists on career development. This year, she was a producer for Syndrome, a short film commissioned by the Met Opera, directed by Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Her next curatorial project is entitled The Earth is an Archive. The exhibit will explore the relationship between the body and land in contemporary art. So, Monique... Adrian, <laughs> Elizabeth, hi. Um, so I wanted to give an overview of your practice for people who came here tonight. Um, so I want to talk about how you work as an artist and how you approach critical and historical reading of canonical works through your practice. And you, you do that through quoting old masters, have a contemporary approach through fashion and other references. And so I just wanted to give a, a brief um, overview of what you do as an artist, and then we'll look at what you've done this year and what you're working on currently. Sure. This is a painting that I've spent a lot of time with. I've written about it. I, I teach this painting. Uh, I think about it uh, quite often. Tell me about Armel and your thoughts about this particular work. Armel is one of my first paintings I did when I was younger. And um, this is my cousin. And I forced her to pose for me and dress her up in what I think will be some sort of an homage to a painting of Sargent, um, Madame X. So I wanted her to have the same pose. I was obsessed with Sargent and his, you know, um, virtuosity in the way he paints. But this particular painting to me was is very interesting because when I was looking for who she was, it turns out that in her past she had, uh, she's um, the equivalent of what we call Creole here. And in Martinique, um, Creole means something else. It means you are from Martinique. So I thought it was an interesting parallel that having this black woman who's my cousin from Martinique being called Creole and this white woman from an upscale family being called Creole as well. So that's why I wanted them to pose uh, the same way. So it was almost echoing through the time those two characters. And I have, I use, of course, the, I mean, not of course, I shouldn't say that, but I'm using the, um, the floor that you find a lot in Dutch masters, which also refers to colonial times in, you know, the Caribbeans and, yeah, the colonized time um, from French people. And also in the, I also use that um, same language by using painting into a painting. And this painting over there on the, on, the, on the corner is a reference to Winslow Homer. Also is a painting that, that took place in when he visiting the Bahamas. That was also a way to echo 
where she comes from. So yeah, so just to un unpack all the signifiers that um, you pointed to, there's just a lot of coordinates here just to go back and look at the painting itself. You, she's not just sort of miming Sargent, who was American also, but he lived in um, Paris and he painted uh, society figures, most famously uh, this woman. The painting is called um, Madame X, but she was an expatriate from New Orleans and she migrated to Paris with her family in order to marry up. So she was a professional beauty in the way that a Kardashian would be. <laughs> and um, Sargent painted her. But I just, I've always found it fascinating and very sophisticated for a young painter. And Elizabeth didn't say this, but she painted this when she was 19. So just, just so you know, it's okay, very <laughs> sophisticated conceptually for such a young painter. The Homer reference to me is also a signifier. Elizabeth often toggles between her Caribbean roots, but she was born in Paris. Her family migrated there from Martinique, and so she's bringing all of her personal history into her work to quote Homer in the painting, and you see Armel looking at the Homer painting. I read it as a connection between her work and the history of art, but also her Caribbean roots as well, because the portrait of the woman in the painting um, is a woman who's also West Indian as well. So there's a lot going, going on in this painting that I always found really interesting. What else would, would you say about this work? The, the floor, the black and white floor is a colonial reference that you often see in... Yes, absolutely. That, in Martinique. Um, yeah. The mm -hmm. table was my mother's. Yes. So you know, <laughs> I had to use prop yeah. over there. Um, the rose is a reference that, because I use a lot of iconography, so it was a reference to purity because, you know, my cousin at the time, she was quite young. So I wanted her to be almost like, you know, virginal. Um, and naive in a way, in the way you start your life, which was also a different parallel with Madame X, yes. who was not, who did not have that naivete, <laughs> mainly with, with what you just said. Right now. <laughs> um, and and yeah. you just give us a slice of this, the context. But um, I, what I also find interesting between the two paintings is it's all about an icon. It's just about Madame X and in, in this work, so I like that contrast as well. So moving on, one of the other, this is another example of her, uh, of Elizabeth quote, old masters within her work, but giving you a different interpretation. So do you want to talk about Seated? Yeah, so Seated, I thought it would be interesting to paint eld the elderly, in a way. At the time, I didn't want, because this one is Whistler, he painted his mother, and I think I was not ready to paint my mother, so. A painting, <laughs> you know, you have to be ready for this. And um, I was not ready, so I decided to paint, you know, removed family member. But I was always very inspired that by his positioning of the mother in that space, in the contemplative space. And I wanted to show her as if she's reflecting on life. And the fact that I used this very famous painting, which is the portrait of a negress, and also having her head in that orientalist painting. So it looks, it looks like a painting. It could also be like a window. So you're thinking, is it, is it she, a reflection of her life when she longing for a space that she knew or she didn't know? Is this her as a young woman? I, I wanted to kind of play with that type of history. Um, of her. I use also the lamp that has no light in it because it's really a metaphor for the end of your life. Mm -hmm. So that was more a reflection of death, really, which I think maybe I, I was going through something. Yeah, it was it, that, the idea of old age with the, the contemplation of your life and what you think about it you know, to a certain time. I, th I think it's interesting that you, you play with these notions of um, homage mm -mm. and also uh, documentation. So you document your mother, but then it's an homage, and then there's the symbolism, and then these sort of windows to newer work or older work. There's the this sort of doorway that each painting opens as you look deeper into it. And they're um, almost they're always historical paintings, canonical, iconographic works in the history of art. So in in that way, Elizabeth is claiming space for Black figures within the history of art. 
So uh, I, there's a lot more I could say about yeah. this work but, um, for the sake of time. Another way in which you talk about the, the way you use symbolism and formal elements and uh, themes is through fashion. And this is uh, one work in particular. There's a lot of fashion throughout your body of work, but I think in this in, in particular is um, a fascinating painting. Do you want to talk about your interpretation of the uh, figure from Haitian yeah. symbolism? So this one was a theme around Papa Legba, which is a, f a figure of Haitian culture. And it's basically the figure that helps you go on the other side, um, or carry you on the other side. So I decided to represent it by saying, this is Mama Legba. And I wanted her to have a rooster in her hand because it's very symbolic of you know pract voodoo practice, uh, sacrificing, and all that. And, the idea, and I wanted her to have a red glove because it's also the symbol of life and um, a passion. But the fashion in this, I wanted to mix old world and new world. So the top is inspired by Jean-Paul Gaultier. <laughs> I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and by inspired, it's exactly the same top. I wanted to use the feathers because I thought, again, it was a, a reference to whatever you use to be able to go on the other side or ask the elders or ask the oracle or ask for advice. So I wanted her to really be drenched in that, in that knowledge and the idea that she, she carries it and she can bring it on, in, into the both worlds. And I'm married, of course, with a skirt from the 17th century. So, it's a, it's a, so it looks like a portrait from another time, but really the fashion I referred is very current. It's interesting because um, what I know of you as a fashion curator, um, this is sort of a new, a different relationship as fashion curator and fashion designer. You're adding new elements to and influenced by something by a designer um, and creating a new reality. Was, were these some of the early discussions that you guys had about, um, oh, I love the fashion in your work. This is piquing my curiosity. Well, when I saw this painting, um, it was at a, a conference probably five or six years ago. We started talking about the work because I was organizing an exhibition of her paintings. And this painting wasn't in the exhibition itself. But I remember us having a conversation. And she said, oh, you know, I this was a, a reference to something I saw. I don't remember where, where it was. I was like, what? <laughs> and so I went I went on a deep search. And I had to find this and like brandish it. <laughs> Is this the dress? It had to be the dress. But um, I had to find it. Um, so a lot of things are a, a product of Elizabeth's imagination. Some are um, a product of a lot of research because she wants to have a kind of veracity, authenticity to the period. And in the decor, like the interiors, and and in the and the dresses, and some are uh, a mix. They're very blended because she's not referencing a particular uh, time period, but all, always between 17th and the 19th century. And she doesn't want to. She wants it to be a little bit ambiguous. So we talk about it, and we've done whole conversations just about fashion and work. And so I just also I wanted to talk about some of uh, Elizabeth's artistic mothers and fathers, people who preceded her in, in, in art making, but have a similarity. And this quickly, I wanted to talk about Barclay Hendricks, who painted in the Grand Manor style, obviously uh, with a sartorial influence in, in the work in uh, imagining his subjects. He was in, in Paris in the 70s and was in a, an immigrant neighborhood and just saw um, these gentlemen on the street and uh, photographed them and painted from the photograph. And also a Philadelphia native, too. Yes. And oh, a yes. lot of his photographs, if some of you guys are familiar with Barclay Hendricks, he was in 30 Americans and sort of had a resurgence of his career post that exhibition. Mm -hmm. A lot of these guys are like people in his neighborhood, people yes. in North Philadelphia. Yes. You know? I mean, I think he had a painting. He has a painting that was probably one of my first encounters with, you know, a very heroic black figure in a, in a painting called Billy Negro or something like that. Um, so now we're going to move on and talk about some of the projects we've been working on this year. In the beginning, uh, well, the late 2017, you were commissioned to uh, make a film for the Metropolitan Opera's art program, and the films uh, relate to the operas in that, that are staged during the season. And uh, you chose Cendrillon, which is a French version of the Cinderella. Cinderella yeah. So there were a lot of tropes and themes in, within Cinderella, that were obvious connections to your work. Uh, we want to, we have the film here. It's a short film, it's uh, two minutes. 
So that showed the Met uh, live streams their operas across the United States and 70 other countries throughout, throughout the world and um, during the intermission. So that you go to a movie theater like an AMC, see the opera, and during intermission, Elizabeth's film debuted in, in April. So it was thrilling. Just full disclosure, I was a producer on the film and fairly new, <laughs> new thing for both of us. I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, talk, talk about it. I, talk about your process and how the decisions you made that you we see in the, your interpretation of Cinderella narrative. Well, first of all, we definitely had a very limited budget. So we had to pull a lot of favors from DPs, editors, costume designer, and so on. And um, But one of the first choices was um, getting Cinderella. And I wanted to have a black Cinderella. And I wanted to have a Cinderella with very short hair. So to avoid all the cliches of what a princess should be. So um, one of my friends who is a PR, basically, who knows all the models in New York, I asked him, do you know that type of woman for me? And he's like, oh, I can send you three names. And the first time I saw uh, this model named Grace Ball, um, she's Sudanese, uh, I thought, that that was her, and uh, she kindly and graciously, like her name, said yes to be in the film, um, and that was and that really helped a lot. Then, of course, we had a lot of meeting. Um, I used to be a storyboard artist, so I did storyboards for the film, which served and helped a lot um, to talk to the DP, to talk to uh, the costume designer. We were very lucky to get a um, student um, who was able to construct and build a gown for us. What you see also, we had the idea of painting on the dress. It's fake painting. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, she integrated that print of, the, of one of the, of the painting in the dress as a train because you, uh, we wanted this to be part of the dress so that it makes sense. I mean, we had one day of shoot, so we had to be very organized. And I mean, it went fairly seamlessly. And we wanted to, because the idea of the Met shorts is to use the, the theme of the opera. Obviously use one of their recordings, they make you choose between like five to six songs. You also have to, in a way, perspire in your film as an artist, so they, they have to be able to identify who did that film. And also still be inspired by, by the theme of Sandrino. So, you know, when you think of, of Cinderella, I'm not going to say it in there, sorry. Um, when you think of that theme, you think about, you know, the shoe, the midnight, and I also like the idea of her not having a prince. It's a very independent Cinderella. I mean, she's dancing by herself, she's walking the, the whole way by herself, so I like the idea that it defies the code of what we think is a princess. And coincidentally, it also, I think, came about the same time of Meghan Markle. So the idea of having a black princess that is also challenging, I guess, the code of, you know, what it is. But we know, I think that was interesting to, you know, maybe discuss the same thing in that short movie. Yeah, I think the film debuted a month before the wedding. So yeah. it was definitely in the air. And then for the aesthetic of the film, you can see the, we used one of Elizabeth's paintings as inspiration for the look of our Cinderella. So she has a red dress with a blue sash. Thank you to LaShawn Coster, who uh, was a, a young student from Parsons. She was graduating that year. And so that's how we styled our Cinderella, with a blue sash and a, a red dress. But Elizabeth made that painting early last year, January of, of 2017. So we just looked in the studio for inspiration. Uh, so that's the beautiful Grace Ball. We couldn't have done it with, without her. She was no. amazing. Mm -mm. So you see the combination of the two. And these are just documentary films, that, uh, photographs that we took on set, you could see how we worked, and I just love the metaphor of Elizabeth painting her Cinderella. That was a happy accident. <laughs> and, uh, oh, look at Elizabeth being the director. <laughs> working, working. We, we worked our asses off, actually. Um, and, and this is the, the, you see the train of the dress. We transferred the image of that painting onto the train of the dress, mm. and our costume designer was able to incorporate that and make it make sense. And you see Grace leaning onto the wall. <laughs> that gown was so heavy. It was heavy. And she's really, you know, petite. She was just... <laughs> Let yeah. me take a minute. 
And that was the third painting um, that was featured in the film, Beautiful Grace. So the second project, that, a major project that Elizabeth did this year was uh, debut the, uh, her series of The Four Seasons, which is a theme, an allegorical theme that is um, painted throughout the history of art, usually by men who are painting men representing the four seasons, fall, winter, spring, and summer, as you see them there respectively. Um, do you want to talk about your interpretation of this? Theme. Yeah, so the theme is usually in the history of art. It's called Ages of Men, which is also a reflection of you know life from you know birth to you know the end, and it's usually yeah men painting men. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to say to paint women and paint the ages of women because you know they give life in a way. So it's the beginning of life, and then you know you see the evolution of who they are in um, their lifetime. So I started with, so I started actually, the first one was uh, summer, and the last one is spring, uh, the most recent one. And I use a lot of iconography, meaning like you can, you can decipher the painting if you understand the codes or simply look at it. So for spring, for example, the model is my niece. The idea of spring is, of course, the idea of flowers, of, you know, lightness, of the, it's like the innocence of, you know, a young girl. And she was, she was 13 at the time, so I think it was very appropriate. But it was also the idea of referencing old masters. So as in this one particular, I'm referencing somebody like Gainsborough. So like it's very old, old British landscape and the idea of like a rose garden is also very British. But in, coincidentally, in her hand though, what she holds is a, are flowers for Martinique. Winter? Um, winter, so this one is, is a painting of my mother and it's the idea, of course, it's the idea of the end of, end of your life, but more like reflection again with what happened in the past and, where are you leading? Um, so there's different different references to what winter is, but not in the traditional sense. Usually, the color blue mm -hmm. is used because it's cold, right? And I couldn't use blue because my mother doesn't like blue. So interestingly enough, it's it's winter, but it's also the portrait of an older woman, but it's also a portrait of my mother. So all this, I had to pick a color that she was not offended by. <laughs> so Which could be tough. <laughs> Come on now. Um, so I was, green kind of was the idea. So just to still give an idea of cold, but not, not blue. And, but, you know, having the fire there, having her wearing fur, just like the idea of like resonating with the idea of winter. And there's little bits of her in it. So I still really wanted to reference her past. So you have the headdress, which is very typical of the Caribbeans and the language of what it is. So if you have like three, um, three points on the, on the headdress, it means you are a woman that he's taken. So she has three on her head. Also, in the back, in the painting, is another painting of Winslow Homer. So I wanted also to reference the, where she's coming from. Um, the book in her hand is actually a copy of Baudelaire, Les Fleurs du Mal. How do you translate Les Fleurs du Mal? It's like the, fa the famous poetry book from yeah. Baudelaire. It's an erotic book of poetry. Well, I think it's a bit reductive to say it's erotic. Okay, that's my... <laughs> Even, do you want to talk about fall now? Or <laughs> we have a um, thing? <laughs> fall, um, so again, this is an, the evolution of women. So that's the moment in her life where, you know, it's the idea of fertility, it's the idea where she wants to conceive. So uh, you have reference to, you know, she has an egg in her hand, which is like a Fabergé egg, but it's like, of course, the symbol of reproduction. And also you have an animal here. I put the swan and I refer to the um, myth of Zeus and Leda. So <laughs> Zeus was very famous for, you know, liking the ladies and basically changing his shape so he could do so. And in one of uh, the story, he seduced Leda and by changing himself into a swan and he did what he had to do. Uh, so that's the idea. And of course, she got, she got impregnated and she had a child. So that's also the idea of fertility. And also the circle on her dress referring to, I would say, African print, a wax, but also the symbol of the circle is very feminine. Um, so all that really served the theme of 
conception and that moment in her life when the woman decides to become a mother. So uh, very dense symbolically, and we were approached by a curator who, who, who wanted to install Elizabeth's work in a historic mansion in, in Newport, Rhode Island. So one of the historic mansions in uh, Newport, the Elms, where an intervention basically took place. And they organized Elizabeth's work with the permanent collection there. So they looked like they were contemporaneous with um, the Impressionist paintings, as you can see, in, in the home. So that happened this summer. And as you can see, it really went, they really integrated well. They, it was really well received. Finally, I wanted to talk about the exhibition that Elizabeth is currently in, um, Posing Modernity, uh, which is organized by Denise Mur Murrell, which Adrian read a quote from the Vogue piece. The, basically, the, the thesis of the show is to show how the black figure has been represented since the modernist movement, starting with Manet to the present and the present meaning contemporary artists looking back at modernity with a critical eye. So Elizabeth is obviously is in the contemporary section, but I really wanted to start with this foundational painting that we saw earlier that Elizabeth quoted, um, Marie Benoit, who painted this woman who was a servant in her home. E? Was she in, a servant in her home? Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, we don't have you know, for, like, official uh, information, but yeah, she, yes. Yeah. So yeah, the I mean, that's the only way, really, she would have access to a black woman who would, you know, say yes to pose for her. Maybe from Martinique, Guadalupe Martinique? Possibly. Possibly, mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. This pa painting was a manifesto. It was a, the kind of painting that started a major conversation. It was meant to talk, well, Elizabeth can talk about it more, I think I would prefer that, but I just wanted to show this painting because it's been sort of in popular lexicon recently. I don't know how many of you have seen the Beyonce Jay-Z film that they, they, they filmed at the Louvre <laughs> recently, just crazy. They rented out the Louvre and filmed a video there overnight and the la one of the last frames is of this painting. There, if you haven't seen the video, it's, it's fascinating. So do you want to talk about more about the time in which um, Benoit painted this? And I mean, if you can, if you notice here, patriotic colors are the palette, the um, French, blue, and red, white, and blue. So do you want to talk more about the painting itself and why is it important to you? Well, it was one of the first painting I saw as a teenage girl that was in painted in a classical way from that time, I mean it's 1800, where I could see one of my own represented that way. It really stopped me in my tracks. I was just like, is this really possible? So I th in a way, it's, it's the painting that started everything uh, for me. It was really a turn in my, the way I was thinking about classical art. Because being raised in France and learning art at that time, there was nothing, no representation of blackness in whatever we learned. So the fact that I ran onto this and nobody told me about this, I was really, really shocked. So I've decided to really to start painting in that way and try to homage, you know, my own people into that type of language, uh, painting language. So one of these, one of, this painting is the first one I did about black models in paintings. And I wanted to show her differently. For me, it's after the session, and she puts back her clothing. Because at the end of the day, when you look at this painting, which is a beautiful homage to blackness and all that, but she's still, the portrait is named Portrait of a Negress. She still doesn't have a name. She's a Negro woman, right? She's still burying her breast. Mm -hmm. So she's still an object of... She, yeah, actually, she's just an object. She's analyzing her, her skin. I think f even for the painter, in a way, it's just, can I, can I do this? Can I, can I paint this, that skin color? Can I paint that skin color against that white um, fabric? I think it was just more of a, in a way of showing her skills and really being interested in that woman. And now wanted to humanize her. So to me, to representing her, putting back her clothing, being her own, looking at the window and just like having this reflection onto herself was my way of, in a way, reintegrating her humanity, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, so, it, sorry. Yeah, I, I wanted to add also is, uh, just from a person who studied art history, it, it, off, it offers, your, your work in, in this particular piece offers an opportunity for a sort of two-way discussion about people from outside of the United States that study art in the, in the black image and where your sort of lens is 
and how you sort of perceive images in classical interpretation mm -hmm. and how you've gone in to do it. Because we have a certain library of images that we're used to mm -hmm. or we point to and say, oh, yeah, this is us, you know, or this is how we've been represented. But you come from a completely different mm -hmm. direction with it. But there's a meeting point in the middle, mm -hmm. you know, which I think is interesting to talk mm -hmm. about. And as you can see from the date of this painting, it's well before Elizabeth was approached. She was already working on a series of black models when this research came to light and the exhibition happened. Um, so this, this painting is not in the exhibition. Elizabeth made a new work that wound up in the exhibition, but this is in the book. And if you're in New York, I highly recommend it. It's a fascinating show that starts with her research looking at the black maid in this painting, which, as you can see, is <laughs> very famous. And as you can see here, um, her research starts with this watershed moment. The maid in this work has a name. She was a model who worked very closely with Manet. The curator went to, to, to Turin in Italy where Manet's archives, I'm not sure why they're in Italy, but I think he died there. But um, he, in his studio notebook, refers to her. Her name is there. Her name was Laura. Her address in Paris, was 10 minutes away from Manet's studio, and he calls her the beautiful, very beautiful black woman. It began what became her, her book and her exhibition. And just to show you in, in the history of art, what Elizabeth does, referring to um, previous works, quoting them and reinterpreting them is something that appears throughout the history of art. Manet was looking at this painting from the Venetian school, uh, Titian. His, his painting was a reinterpretation and a quote of, of Titian's work, uh, The Venus of Urbino. So you see um, the changes that he made. And Adrian and I both studied art history, at least where, where I went to school. You're taught basically that the maid is of no consequence. She's there to create depth in the painting. That's it. So Denise's research was really important, and along with Elizabeth's paintings, you see that there's more than one way to analyze the painting. You can see that Manet paints her with so much care, and in a, many of us ha have never seen the painting in person. We've only seen very poor copies, but in this particular reproduction, you see that you know she's not blending in with the background. He literally divides the composition, have their, their compatriots there, Equals, yeah. So this is Elizabeth's interpretation of the black maid. Knowing her where she lived in Paris, 10 minutes away from Manet's studio, it, it's a, a new addition to her, her black models series. Um, Elizabeth, do you want to talk about your, this painting you just finished and that's in the exhibition? Sure. So this is Laura. So I wanted to show her again out of context because I like the idea that she has an own life that she is away from that very famous painting called the Olympia. The idea was to show her on the way to Manet's studio, on the way to pose for him. So that's why I decided to create some sort of um, a, like a dress that would refer to the dress that she wears in the painting. You could see, I mean, maybe not here, but like there's also the earrings are the same that is in the painting of Manet. A little details that gives you information that might be lore, like uh, from in, in the, I would say, carriage. Um, you see the man with a bouquet of flowers, which is the same one that you have in Manet. You have referred to the black cat just crossing the street. But it's also the idea of, you know, the, 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 the position of women at the time in Paris. And there were very few choices for what you could do as a female. You could be a nanny, so that's why I put a woman in the back with two kids. You could be courtesan. So courtesan is a lovely word for a woman who accepts gifts for... Sex. Yes. Sex. <laughs> so, and in France, it was quite, you know, it was a legitimate profession. So I, I referred this one, I referred to a woman called Cora Pearl. She was very famous to pair her outfit with her dog. So that's why I'm, I'm, I painted a pink dog, and she has a pink dress, so then you can identify her as, you know, Cora Pearl. But the, and then you have Laure. Laure, who... I think part-time she was a nanny, but also she is a model. And she gained, in a way, fame by being the model for Manet in that famous painting. So in a way, she exists. She's a modern woman, that's what I'm trying to say. She's modern compared to the time she lived in. And it was not easy, I'm sure, being a black woman, being independent, and 
living at that time in Paris. So I wanted to honor and I wanted her to take central stage and not share the foreground with anybody. She is the first one you see. She has a red umbrella. She catches your eyes. She's looking at you. She's looking at the viewer. She's, you know, lowering her umbrella so you can catch her face. And that's what I wanted to do. It's interesting because the painting then now becomes a sort of like a split in reality, like what's real, what's not. Mm -hmm. And it, for, it, it performs the function of a sort of social media too. It's like an early social media. Mm -hmm. Like, look, I'm in this painting, mm -hmm. but here's, here I am in the real right. life. Like you offer another option mm -hmm. and an, an interesting option. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's and fantastic. a contemporary one. And a con yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and also just one other sort of fashion moment with her headdress, her madras. You want to talk about it? Oh, the madras. Well, the madras is a very it's the fabric that we use in Martinique and Guadeloupe. It was it's coming from India, and it was important imported uh, in the Caribbean because you had a lot of Indians also at the time working there. And it became, you know, the the main type of fabric we used for traditional costume, for headdress. And she also um, has a headdress in the painting, so I wanted to refer that otherwise. And it's absolutely normal for her to wear it uh, in the city. Absolutely normal. And I didn't include it in this presentation, but Manet painted her at least three times that we know of. And in one is is it's just a portrait of her, and she's wearing a madras uh, headwrap, just. The same one. So I think that's it. I will, um, Posing Modernity is um, at Columbia University through February, and then it'll be traveling to the Orsay in Paris the, and opening at the end of March. And so. this this image was featured in the Vogue magazine? Was that? It was. Yes. It was in um, Vogue with some other works of Elizabeth. Yeah. So I think you can find the October issue still if you look hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably in the gift shop. Oh, thank you guys. Um, I think we want to open it up to some questions or observations or you know, curiosities that you all may have. I have a question just to warm people up. Um, going back to the Mama Legba, did you see the uh, fashion first and that, did that inspire the painting or did you do the painting and find that costume for it? No, I, I wanted to do, I had an idea of the painting I wanted to do already because I had the theme, mm -hmm. so I usually go from there. And, but I really wanted her to have a dress made out of feathers. Mm -hmm. That's, that was the idea. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the budget to build my own. So I had to do a lot of research. And finally, I found Jean-Paul Gaultier, who did this beautiful top. And I just thought, well, that's what I'm going to use. And also, what I like about it is that, in he, and I don't know if it's because she's putting her hands like this, but it's the way that it goes both ways. So it's like those basket dresses from, yes. you know, France, uh, 17th century. So I was really, it was definitely a, my first choice. <laughs> I have a question as well. So, can you talk a little bit about like how like the cats and animals function in your work? Like, <laughs> like do you have pets? And then do you um, do you what what is this the significance of some of the animals and the placement and what they're doing? Like, there's one. I think there's like a a cheetah or like a baby yeah. cheetah mm -hmm. looking in a certain right. direction. Mm -hmm. Was that summer? Yeah. It's summer. What what is summer's relationship to the cheetah? Well, summer it's. Um, it's a woman in her twenties, and the, and you know, and she has a very defiant look. She's looking again at the viewer, and she wants to cut her hair. And I wanted her to be as untamable as a wild animal. Mm. So the idea of that having a baby cheetah is because you know you still it's still small. Mm -hmm. So you know where she's still young in her mind, mm -hmm. and in real life, obviously she's in her twenties, but she's un untamable mm. still. So that's the significance of the cheetah. Mm -hmm in that particular painting, yeah. But I love using animals because it's a way, it's a, it's a different language. I mean, for these ones, there's also a, um, the, the significance of um, something that stings you, or something that's pointy, something almost like this latent danger. So in this one, you have a bee in the foreground. In her, you have the scissors ready to, you know, like almost like a dagger. In this one, she's piercing the crab with a cane, and in this one, she's piercing you with her look. So there's always that idea of, mm -hmm. you know. Eye contact. Yeah. And, and how does atmosphere function as an additional layer or character in your paintings? Well, atmosphere, I mean, I like telling stories, so the atmosphere is very important. And I, th I don't know if it's also because I worked in movie business, mm -hmm. so I like the idea of telling the story fully in that dimension. The atmosphere is definitely is another character. Mm -hmm. 
it puts you in a different mood, hopefully, if I do my job right, and, <laughs> and helps you also to understand the painting with the, the, the different meaning of everything. I mean, I, f like, I feel like the idea of spring, you get the idea of spring. You get, you know, it's the start of the, of the year, something very light about it, whether you see something like winter is not as light, it's a heavy atmosphere, so it plays a really big part in telling a story. Light as well is very important. Any other question? Yeah. Um, have you met or collaborated with Julie Wiley, who has also done a huge portrait of mostly of black men in the, you know, in the 18th, 17th, 16th century, which I think is a wonderful balance between your work and his work. Have you ever collaborated with him or met him or talked to him? I met him, but I've never collaborated yeah, with him. He's no. big on fabrics, and it's, it's just really refreshing to see all of this from a feminine perspective. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, he Thank does you. have the same, um, it's similar, similar storytelling. Um, than I, in some similar visual language, I would say. Mm -mm. The Four Seasons series is really beautiful. It just makes mm -hmm. me think about how you're recreating or like putting, putting these black figures into the past in an experience that they, they didn't really have. They didn't experience this life, so it's kind of this dream but then you're like propelling into the future. I guess my question really is, what function do you think that your work serves in shifting the way that black figures are viewed in the, the context of, of art and I guess life? Well, I hope it does the same function a portrait of a negress had on me when I first saw it, meaning that you are part of a history and you need to be represented differently. And you had, whether it's, you know, through fashion, whether it's, you know, the context. I mean, associating black figures with a luxurious environment and to see it visually, it's something else than talking about it. It has more impact. And I think I want to impact people in that way. So then blackness means something else. You know, you associate different, a different vocabulary with it. And oftentimes she does, she, um, Elizabeth does have a history painting series. And she's, she's French, but she's taught me a lot about um, obscure black people who accomplished incredible things. Um, there wasn't time to talk about it here. I just focused on um, work uh, that we, we've done this year. But um, there, while you know, a lot of this is um, you know, looking back to canonical paintings that may not have happened, there are, she has a whole, maybe a half a dozen of, of, of works of paintings that I promise you probably of black um, uh, achievers that you probably haven't heard of. So that's something else. Your realistic paintings are really exquisite, man. That is a great hand. Thank you. Really superior. And um, when you think about the work, how long would, might it take you to conceive of a series? How long does it take you to execute on these things? What size are they? These uh, images oh, here. It's, oh, sorry. These are. Uh, so oh, I, wow, they're big. They're man. big. Yeah, they're, they're monumental huge. paintings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can. Wow. Is that? Does that give you a sense of scale? No, probably yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. Those it's are fantastic. Huge. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, it takes a while. I mean, the first one I did, I think, was 2012, and the last one finished this year, beginning of the year. Of course, I didn't paint only that through that <laughs> throughout this time, but the conception of it and the execution takes a long time if you want them to work together. Um, and even a painting like Winter, I started before, it was completely different um, because I, I had to paint over it. it was, I did not, the first one, I did not use my mother as a model. It was a seated position. It was, I think it did not serve what I wanted to say. So sometimes I also changed my mind which doesn't help, you know, the speeding process. Yeah, it can, it can take years, it can take... Thank you, thank you very much. We didn't talk about um, the time period for Benoit's painting and how critical that was. Will you, do you want to talk about 
um, slavery in France and the, the time that... Uh, Too early. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, at the time, it was more of a celebration of the end of slavery, right? So, and it was a scandal. First of all, because she was a woman painter. So uh, in France, painting was reserved for men. If women were painting, they had to be confined to still lives or like cute things, right? So, <laughs> so the idea, first of all, that she paints a portrait was already not great. Then she decides to paint a black woman, so that was a problem. Scandalous. Um, there were critics at the time who wrote essays about how dare she stained the canvas with that color. They were really, really harsh. So in a way, even for maybe it was just for her an essay painting this, it's still something quite, I would, I would use the word courageous to have done at the time as a woman. Um, because she could have painted many other things, and she decided to do that. Interestingly, slavery in France was reinstalled a few years later. So it gives also it gives you also an idea of how French men at the time were still perceiving black women. I mean, and black black people in general. So they were never fully free, <laughs> even though they liked the idea of it. But they were, they were never fully free. So that painting has a lot of significance. It was in the idea of embodying the emancipation, but really in reality, it was just a very short period of time. You can be born free, and then 10 years later, you're back being a slave. This question is for you, Monique. Um, so can you talk about a little bit of your experience as, as a curator and like what, what type of work it takes to position Elizabeth in the marketplace and you know make a case for her work and speak in a way um, that curators and collectors and museum people understand? Is it, is it a difficult task or is it like, can you speak to that experience? I really like solving problems. So Elizabeth and I were friends before we started. I mean, we always talked about work in a way and looking back maybe in a way that got me to thinking that I could help her, but um, the talent was there, right? Mm. <laughs> like you see the painting that she made as a teenager. It, mm. it wasn't, that wasn't the issue. But I think a lot of times um, people get seduced by the beauty in her work mm -hmm. um, because in a way, a beauty is kind of a medium for her in her practice, thinking that that's where it began and end. Mm -hmm. And just trying to help people think about how um, conceptually she's working. So that, I think, if you want to sort of target where I started, it wasn't trying to convince people that Elizabeth could paint. That wasn't the issue. But she was someone who came here from another country, mm -hmm. so she wasn't sort of like tracking mm -hmm. in a way because she hadn't gone to an MFA program here. Mm -hmm. She had six years of training in Paris. Because of that, she wasn't meeting the right people, and the right people weren't meeting her. So the show was important, and I think it was great to be able to also edit a book because then there was scholarship mm -hmm. that people could read and help them understand that yes, the work is beautiful, but also it's conceptually rigorous as well. So that's how, how I decided to approach it mm -hmm. in the, for you know, the quote-unquote marketplace. Although that wasn't really, you know, I, <laughs> I'm yeah. a curator, so I'm, I don't know that much about, I don't talk about sales, I just talk about getting you know, thinkers and, and other artists maybe mm -hmm. just see the work and talk about it. And um, Elizabeth, um, for you, and, and it, please, we have time for a few more questions and we'll wrap. Has living in, in America influenced the concerns, uh, um, absorbing the concerns that are going on in America right now? Have they started to inform maybe future work or future concepts, you know, considering the things that we're dealing with right now? Has that sort of filtered into your, your thinking? I think it does consciously and unconsciously. I mean, I'm here and I obviously living here as a black woman. So it... it in, in Harlem. <laughs> so it does influence you. And I'm, I'm, I'm still keeping the same line of work in the sense of the aesthetic, but I think my subject matter or whatever I, I want to talk about definitely is steep into the actuality. And being here also made me realize a lot about the position of black people in 
uh, whether Caribbeans or friends, and the work in a way that has to be done. It's just, it's very, it's a different dynamic, but I would say latently is the same idea, really. It's the same. Hi. Hi. Um, I wanted to commend you, of course, on your beautiful work. I think the conceptual rigor is the part that's really grabbing me, particularly because it seems as though you're really upending an archive of how um, black people, specifically black women, have been represented, um, not only in painting, but also if you think about how others have documented um, black people prior to photography, um, and then once photographic images came into play. So I guess I'm I'm wondering, there's also um, a conversation about really kind of exceptional or iconic people who've done really important things and maybe we didn't know about it, but I'm always interested in that kind of quotidian everyday person and how they have a biography too. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems to be the case with Law, who you painted really. So I'm okay. curious about your subjects and how you think about quotidian, like how you think about this everyday concept of blackness being exceptional because it's also every day. And I'm, I guess I'm seeing that a little bit in your paintings. Well, you, I, I like the idea, I mean, because I refer a lot to older paintings. So of course you have the, the theme of allegorical, you have the theme, you know, mythology, you have biblical. But also at the, at the time you had just people who had the means to be able to order commissions. So having regular people uh, not refer to historical people like lore. It just means really that they're able to get a painting made. Do you know what I mean? So it means like when I'm, you're seeing like a character like her who's not, and also I'm playing with the idea of photography because to me it's also as if somebody's taking a snapshot of her in the street, which of course is not the idea of a regular portrait. The fact that she is a normal person and she is having a painting made at that time, I mean, she's interesting enough as a regular person for her to be painted. And I, and I like the idea of carrying that today because it, it was what happened before. You were a regular person, you just happened to have the money to be painted. Yes, thank you. I was actually thinking the same thing about that interest in the everyday. And I would love it if you, I was recently at a talk with Titus Kafar and Ken Gonzalez Day, and they were talking about, Titus was especially talking about foregrounding that everyday person that no one is looking at, like changing the focus of the, the viewer's gaze. And then I was recently at a talk at the University of Maryland with a Grenadian novelist and poet, and she was, her research was all about Malcolm X's mother and how she's in the story, but she's over here, right? And so I'm really fascinated with other characters that you have or that you're discovering that maybe are not like Laura, but more sort of the everyday foregrounding any of those black people that we might not normally focus on. Or like as, and then Monique was referring to this trove of other folks that we, right. you know, that you have discovered, mm -mm. but would, wouldn't be known to many other people. Right. Well, I do have, you know, a, a historical character. I call them historical because they existed, but and they have a, extraordinary uh, destinies. And one in particular is named Biddy Mason. Biddy Mason is a woman who born a slave in Georgia, and her, the the man who owned her decided to move to California. Yes, he was the father. She had she had three children by him, and he decided to to move there and make them walk behind the carriage throughout the country. They landed in California. Um, she was also a healer, and she was making you know uh, ointment with with plants and all that. So she had that gift as well. So they arrived in California, and she was quite a smart woman, and she understood that California was a free state. So basically, she told her owner, I'm not going to be your slave anymore. <laughs> of course, he tried to convince her to go back to where they come from. She, of course, did not comply, and she sued him. She sued him, and she won. He went back to wherever he was. She stayed in California, opened a business, created all this ointment, sold them, bought land, accumulated land, accumulated what is known today as downtown LA, sold everything, became a millionaire. The fact that she's not known is baffling to me. Incredible destiny. And she was very generous. She then opened a care for everybody, regardless of your color. She just wanted people to be healed and offered her money and her place to people there. So, B.D. Mason. 
So I'm fascinated by the chronology that you had in your Four Seasons, your beautiful Four Seasons paintings. I mean, I think my memory, and I could be wrong, is that normally winter ends the yeah. ends the chronology, right? And and the old classic pieces end with the oldest stage. But you very meticulously staged winter in the middle. Is, is there an intentionality behind that, or what was your narrative behind playing with no, time? No, there's no okay. logic behind the presentation. <laughs> but yeah, but what's interesting is that, yeah, I did finish with winter, but I started, um, I finished with spring, and I started with summer. So I didn't start actually in order. Yeah. But I think it was a good thing because I was then able to paint, to use my mother as a model for winter, and was able to use my niece as a model for spring. So, thank God. <laughs> well, I have one, um, which is a little more practical. Can you talk a little bit about your trajectory, um, like your decision to move from Paris to L.A., and then ultimately um, New York? And if you can parallel that um, physical trajectory with your professional trajectory um, for some of the artists in the room, because geography has always been a big conversation around artists' career. So I'm interested if you could share a little bit about um, you know, your choice, number one, to leave Paris, and, um, and then the subsequent decisions, the uh, impact of that, um, of that choice. Well, I moved away from Paris um, because, believe it or not, it was quite closed for me there. The, <laughs> I heard, I believe it. <laughs> so they were not open to that type of representation. Um, they were not ready for it, I would say. And um, the opportunities, work opportunities, were very slim. You know, out of art school, I'm a black person, I'm a woman, it's, it's, the pool is tiny. Um, one of my friends, um, her mother was a director and she, was, she shot this movie in, in France with um, a very famous actor and he was gonna do a film in LA and he said, well, if you, if you want, both of you can come and I can you know, help you be in the movie and blah, blah, blah. And so then I started to do storyboards because I know how to draw, and it was a good way of, for me to sustain myself and still having the freedom um, of painting. Um, she can really draw. <laughs> and then, but painting also in LA at the time, it was also that type of representation was not very popular. It was still the idea of conceptual art. It was still the idea of, you know, I would like to decorate my home with, you know, big painting that goes with my cash. It was just not that time for a type of painting. So I've decided to move to New York where I thought it would be a better better city for what I was doing. And I think it was the right decision. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think that was another problem, to be honest, that um, figurative painting when Elizabeth arri arrived was just kind of emerging again. It was considered not uh, fashionable to be a figurative painter, and now we're, I mean, at least in New York, I don't know what the art scene is here, but it's, you know, the golden age of black painting. It's actually been called that. <laughs> so so we're riding the wave. I think we're in a really good time with her work, and um, I think it definitely, uh, the work it takes, the, someone said the, um, the rigor of uh, the concepts speak first, and, you know, the painting, you know, supports that, but, like, I really appreciate you, you know, putting the time in to be conceptual, and you know, that, that sometimes is like a lazy thing for people, you know, like they don't want to, you know, really dig deep and like you go deep in these. So um, we look forward to more of your work. We want to thank uh, Elizabeth and Monique for thank joining you. us thank for our you. first talk. Thank you for being an amazing audience. They'll be here for, you know, drinks and, you know, intimate, you know, hellos and all that uh, while they're here. So thank you guys. Thank you. And thank you, Sheldon. Thanks so much, Sheldon. Thank you. Of course, my pleasure. And you can learn more about Elizabeth at elizabeth-columba.com and Monique Long at long.gallery. And of course, Adrian Loving at adrianloving.com. And of course, thank you for listening.